Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. In Acts chapter 10, we find the story of Peter and Cornelius. And as we look into the book of Acts, we're reminded that the book of Acts is written by Luke. And one of the purposes of Luke's historical writings in Acts is to show people, um, show us, I should say, how people came to be involved in this, in this movement of the Holy Spirit. This meant that in the writing of the narrative, considerable time had been taken to not only show the geographic spread of the gospel, but also how it spread across ethnic and social boundaries. So remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who became a follower of Jesus Christ, and in the moment, Philip said, man, or he asked Philip, well, what hinders me from being baptized? In other words, what hinders me from following Jesus right now? If this is what followers of Jesus are supposed to do, I want to follow Jesus. What hinders me from doing so? And in that story, in that narrative a few weeks ago, we saw how uh, this Ethiopian eunuch became a follower of Jesus Christ. And to this day, you can see a trail of Christianity uh, in that part of the world. So what does it look like for the gospel to include outsiders? It's a beautiful thought to think about that Jesus was always very concerned with those who were just on the outside of the gospel. In the Old Testament, you could see it. You could see it through the life of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a harlot. She was not someone you would say would have the resume you would think to teach a Sunday school class. You'd want to do a background check. You'd want to figure things, some things out. But in Rahab's past was this colored history. And yet at a pivotal moment in Israel's history, Rahab was chosen to help deliver some spies in order so that the children of Israel would be able to claim the promised land. This was Rahab who was a prostitute, a harlot, someone that society wouldn't exactly get along with. And yet she's included in the gospel Rahab would go on to have a son, and his son's name, or her son's name would be, anybody know? Boaz. How many know the story of Ruth and Boaz? This is an amazing thing of, of Scripture. If you look back in Scripture and read uh, the four or five chapters, I think it's only four or five chapters of Ruth, and you see Ruth's story. Uh, Naomi is an uh, Israelite who uh, leaves um, her, uh, her homeland to go to Midian, to Midian, uh, to the Midian land, and uh, she goes with her husband and her two sons. Their sons uh, end up marrying uh, two wives, of course, and in a matter of moments, when you read through the verses, we don't know exactly how long it takes, but Naomi's husband died and her two sons. She decides to return back to her homeland, but she sits the two daughter-in-laws down and say, hey, you're under no obligation to follow me. You're under no obligation to come back to my homeland. This is your homeland. I'm going to go back home and pick up the pieces of my life, and you stay here and build a new life here. 
And one of the daughters ends up doing that. And the other one says, man, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And I don't know if Ruth quite understood what she was preparing herself for, but she ends up going back to Ni- with Naomi back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. Through a series of events, Ruth is now married to uh, Boaz, which is a beautiful story. Boaz and Ruth would have, uh, would have uh, a child named Obed. And you think, well, I've never heard this Bible story of Obed. That's because there really isn't one. But Obed has a son. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And for some of you, maybe that starts awakening your memories of who Jesse is. And Jesse would have a lot of sons. And one day Samuel would go up to all of Jesse's sons and evaluate who would be the next king, who would be the next chosen one. And he would go from the, from the tallest and the strongest. And he would, every single time the Spirit of the Lord said, Samuel, not that one. And he would go through the different children and he would go through. And then he says, well, don't you have any more children? And Jesse says, I just got the one runt. He's out in the field watching the sheep. I didn't think you needed him here. You see the mental, the the imagery that even the writers of Samuel are writing, that he's even outside of the home where God's next would be chosen. And all of a sudden, David is brought in. David is the grandson, the great-grandson of Boaz, who married Ruth, who was an outsider. And Boaz's mom was a harlot. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, you see all of their names in the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Because God's very, 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 very concerned about bringing outsiders into his fold. Luke emphasizes these, these, uh, these, uh, this theme of those who are just outside of the gospel coming inside. You see it in... Um, John chapter 4, when one of my favorite stories, I reference it awesome. I should just preach a sermon there. I love it so much. But uh, Jesus is with the disciples, and he says, I need to go through Samaria. I need to go to Samaria. And in that story, he finds this woman who is, who is getting water in the middle of the day, the hottest point of the day. Um, how many of you, um, by the way, just think about weather and temperature. How many of you um, realize what happened Thursday night? Oh, my word. We weren't in town, but apparently from like 1045, it was like 88 degrees, and by 11 o'clock, it was 101. How many of you saw that? So this woman who's going to the well, she, it's like she's going at, a hun- at the 100-degree weather on purpose. Everyone else would go early in the day or late at night, avoiding the hottest point of the day. This lady would go in the middle of the day because no one wanted to be around her and she was not accepted. She was the outsider. Jesus goes on purpose to meet her. And she is one of the very first people that Jesus reveals, I am the Messiah. And the story goes that she goes back to town and she starts telling everyone about the man who told me everything about me. Jesus included the outsider. All throughout Scripture, Jesus includes the outsider, and we are living proof of that, aren't we? Because I, don't, I hope you don't mind me telling you, we're just a room of outsiders. 
We're just a room of people that were just outside of the perfection of what the law required to earn God's graces. And yet God shed his blood for us so that we might be saved, we would be included. So what you're going to see for the next couple of chapters is the theme of Acts shift from uh, being witnesses just in Jerusalem... Well, now the disciples are scattering, and you've, we've seen that over the last few weeks where now it's not just in Jerusalem, now it's in Samaria, now it's uh, to an Ethiopian eunuch, now today we're going to see it go all the way to, uh, to a centurion, we're going to see it go to Joppa, we're going to go see all these different areas because the church and the movement of the Holy Spirit ends up spreading all over, scattering all over. So today as we uh, get started, we're in Acts chapter 10, and we will focus on Peter's repentance as we're introduced to Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a centurion. Now, do we know any other stories of centurions in the Bible? There's one, of course, that's found in Luke chapter 7, and when they talked about the centurion in Luke chapter 7, this is what they said about him. They pleaded earnestly with Jesus to receive the centurion because, quote, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. <clears throat> they spoke really highly of him. We're going to meet a man who's similar in reputation in Acts chapter 10. We'll begin in verse number one today. Acts chapter 10 and verse one says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So as we kind of unpack this, Caesarea was a Roman city on the shores of the Mediterranean. Archaeologists have discovered stone buildings from are uh, stones from building in Caesarea inscribed with the name Pontius Pilate. This was a real place in history. Cornelius was an officer in the Roman army. We don't know if he's active duty or he's retired. Uh, he was most likely named after P. Cornelius Sol. This is a Roman general who in 82 BC freed 10,000 slaves. Most of them took his name as a sign of tribute, as a sign of thanksgiving, Cornelius may well be descended from one of these freed men. He was a person of some rank. He was a person of reputation. There was 32 such Italian cohorts that were stationed in different provinces of the empire, and they were made up of Italian volunteers and were considered the most loyal Roman troops. Now, because he was such a loyal servant of the oppressor, many patriotic Jewish people of the day would naturally be prejudiced, perhaps, against Cornelius, but we're given some details here in the first two verses that, uh, that made him sympathetic. He was a man who feared God, he prayed to God always, and who gave alms generously to those who were in need. He was in the category of what the Jewish people would call a God-fearer. Now, it's interesting throughout history that many of the Romans found the Jewish faith particularly attractive. And there are several factors for this. If you just think about Roman, uh, Roman mythology and, and what they were facing when it comes to their set of faith doctrines, Judaism became very attractive for Romans because it was monotheistic. 
There was one God. Uh, There was a strong moral code, which was very important to the Roman people because they had this, or for soldiers in particular. Uh, There was rational worship um, because worship for the Romans and their gods would often carry some elaborate and unnecessary uh, acts of worship. There was a sacred book. There was one sacred book that Judaism uh, surrounded them, not multiple tales or multiple stories. There was one sacred book. There was also this social cohesiveness, a community that uh, was attractive to Romans. And there was a radical faith both living for and dying for. And so when Romans often got around Jewish culture, it became very attractive for them. So oftentimes they sought it out as a way of faith for themselves. Jewish people would respect and appreciated these God-fearing Gentiles. But at the heart of the matter, because they were Gentiles, they were still outsiders. So whenever you're reading scripture in the New Testament and you see that phrase Gentile comes up, what it's speaking to uh, in, a, in a larger discussion is anyone who was outside the Jewish faith and culture. Anyone who's outside the Jewish faith and culture. So according to that definition, how many of you would identify as Gentiles? Yeah, most of us. Most of us are outside the Jewish faith, outside the Jewish uh, culture. Most of us are Gentiles. And so when we look at scripture and it's describing the outsiders, it's a good practice for us to recognize they're talking about us. They're talking about, because we are outsiders. And yet God was using Cornelius, this outsider, to reach Peter's heart. We've talked about it before, but just for sake of emphasis, as you're taking notes, God uses people to reach people. Now, if you think of your faith story, if you think about how you came to Jesus, how you came where your faith became evolved and developed and stronger, no doubt as you think about your faith story, there are people you can remember. There are parents, there are Sunday school teachers, there are employers, there are employees, there's someone in your faith story that brought you to Jesus. There maybe it was a village, right? Maybe it was a, a group of people that encouraged you in your faith. Maybe it was one solitary person. But it was someone or some people that God used to reach you. And here's the beautiful thing. You were designed to also reach people. We must keep uh, that, that, uh, that focus continued in our own life. So as God used people to reach you, so will he use you to reach more people. That's just how it works. So let's see how this happens for Cornelius and Peter. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, Verse four, he stared at him in terror. No kidding. I love the details we get in scripture. If you had a, uh, a vision of an angel of God and called you by name, you would also stare at terror. Verse four, stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, everyone say Joppa, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. We talked about Simon last week. 
Now, we're not told specifically here that Cornelius was already praying, but we're given a little detail. Uh, Go back to verse 9. What time of day was this? It was the ninth hour. This is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is the traditional time that followers of Jesus Christ would pray. So this was customary. Perhaps this happened while he was praying. Perhaps it was not. Um, This was not a dream necessarily, uh, but it was a vision that came perhaps into the mind's eye of Cornelius. Uh, But it was so vivid that Cornelius would later say that a man stood beside him in bright clothing. He says it later in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 30. So God spoke to Cornelius directly, called him by name, and Cornelius responded with a healthy amount of fear, wouldn't you say? He stared at him with terror. He was afraid. I think this is both a physical fear of seeing this, but also a spiritual awe and reverence that he had for an encounter with God. Now, most likely Cornelius didn't know who Peter was, but now he's given specific instructions from this angel uh, to go uh, to Peter. We continue verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, from among those who attended them. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So apparently the faith of Cornelius was contagious where there was a household under his command and they were all followers of Jesus Christ. So he sent the messengers to go call uh, Peter. And it's interesting to see that in order to get Peter's attention, he used Cornelius to get there, right? We're going to see this really amazing moment for Peter where he repents from a way he used to think. And in order for God to get Peter there, he also uses Cornelius and Cornelius's house of faith in order to get to Peter. Yielding and listening to God will likely bring you in the path of others who are yielding and listening to God. It's pretty amazing that as you begin to yield, what does yield mean? Well, if you're driving and you're in two lanes and there's a sign that says yield, it means to give preference to the other lane, to allow others to go right. Some of you are looking like you don't know what yield means (laughs) on the road, right? You give preference to the other drivers, you allow them to have their way, and then you go in So what yielding and listening to God means that while you have an agenda for your day or for your week or your life, while you have something planned, you're yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. You are allowing the Holy Spirit of God to have preference in your life. So so you follow in, you yield. And what I have found true in my life and life of others is as you yield and uh, listen to God, it likely brings you in the path of others who are also yielding and listening to God. You know what happens if, um, oh, I don't know, what habit should I pick on? Um, I can't think of a good one. If you started a bad habit, right? Uh, if you started a, even a, I would say, even a sinful habit, what ends up happening in your life, it's really odd. You become surrounded with people who are also engaged in similar activity. You just do. Like attracts like. If you are, um, uh, oh, let's talk about this. Football's starting. We'll, start, we'll talk about football season. 
because if I'm going to step on your toes, I'll step on mine as well. Uh, if, you, uh, if you follow sports uh, religiously, and I'm using that word on purpose, you will find yourself in the company of others who also follow sports. It just happens. Um, and as you do, you will find your circle growing of people who have like interests in that part of your life expanding. Conversely, I have seen it time and time again, if you start to yield uh, yourself to God and you start really listening to God, a couple things will happen. Number one, God will bring you in the path of others who are also yielding and listening to God. At the same time, perhaps pulling you away from other areas of your life that you were so concerned about. So when you start praying, and um, I have a, uh, Libby and I have a Libby and I have a friend in our life, and uh, she recently started praying. Uh, she she told us the other day. She said, uh, "I just started praying for more Jesus in my life. I just wanted to see Him show up in my life more and more." That's the kind of prayer God answers. God doesn't look at those kinds of prayers and say, "You know what? I don't know." That doesn't, no, that's the kind of prayer he answers. And he answers those kinds of prayers by bringing other people alongside of you who are also yielding and listening to God. It's amazing to me. So here's Cornelius, and he is a centurion. He is well-respected. He has been around the Jewish faith. He has seen some of the faith, and all of a sudden, he starts, uh, he starts uh, being generous to uh, those who need it. He starts uh, participating in the prayers. He starts doing all of these things. And now here's Peter, who's saved, he's baptized, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet he's still growing. We talked about that last week, that even when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's room for us to grow in. And, and all of a sudden, Peter is, is, is in this uh, place in his life where his whole perspective on who the gospel is for is about to be burst, and God uses Cornelius in order to help Peter. He will use you to reach other people. He just will. And the more you yield yourself, the more you listen to God, the more he will bring you in the path of others who are waiting to have this conversation or this moment or relationship where someone can encourage them in their faith. Remember the chessboard analogy that we used way back when where uh, God is often moving the pieces in our life to open up avenues of relationship in our life. So here's two men. They're at least 30 miles apart, the best we can tell. They must be brought together in God's divine plan. In order that they meet, there's Joppa, which is busy with its trade, Caesarea with its great shipping interest. And yet God within the shadows, keeping watch above, sends the angel to Caesarea, and now they're being brought together. It's a beautiful, beautiful way that God works. Uh, verse 9 as we continue. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, the housetop was a normal, normally used like a patio, so this is not uncommon in Jewish culture. Uh, there would be an outside staircase in the roof where one might go alone to, be, uh, to rest uh, or just to be alone. Um, uh, if it was hot, they would go there to relieve themselves of the, the hot weather. It's possible there was some kind of awning or something to protect them from the heat. We read on in verse 10, you get the picture. He went outside. He's up on the rooftop now. Uh, verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. 
Let's see what he saw. Saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So let's stop right there. So in scripture, there are visions and then there's dreams. A simple way to kind of picture what's happening between the two is a dream is when someone falls asleep and they have a dream. And then a vision is something that happens typically while someone is awake. Uh, and these are supernatural things that God allows and has used. And so in scripture, when you see that maybe Jacob had a dream and it was about the staircase to heaven while well, he was asleep at that time, had a dream. When it says here, he fell into a trance and he started seeing something. This is a vision that happened while he's awake. Look at what he sees. Verse 12. In this sheet, uh, let's read the whole thing. Uh, he saw the heavens open, a great sheet descended. It let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter sees all sorts of kosher and non-kosher animals prominently displayed on a sheet-like background. And the voice comes to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, but Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have not never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice, verse 15, came to him a second time, said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? Three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So just kind of picture with me what's happening. Peter's hungry. He's very hungry. He go, he's, he's praying. Um, and God used this distraction of hunger to speak to him with this vision. There's a sheet that comes down filled with all types of animals and reptiles, it says. And a voice came to him. I don't know what the voice sounded like. We're not uh, privy to that. Um, but it comes to him and says, rise, kill, rise and eat, Peter. Rise, kill, and eat. Now, this obviously went against the Jewish command for Peter. Peter was never uh, allowed to eat anything besides what was a kosher food. So, uh, so there's all kinds of animals that you could eat in the Jewish faith, and there's all kinds of animals that you could not eat. Um, and it's interesting, when you just look at the list of things you can eat, and I was going to take time today to quiz you on what you could and couldn't eat, um, but some of it's just really weird and um, not a helpful probably for a Sunday morning. But I would look at the list of foods that are kosher and non-kosher. Uh, many of the times it, 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 was a, um, it was simply, it looks like it was simply a health thing. Uh, God really encouraged healthy eating. And so a lot of the things that we would say are not kosher, uh, when you look at how that animal eats or how that uh, piece of wildlife eats itself, it would be considered unclean. So Peter's response is no. Um, by the way, it had to be a pretty big deal for Peter to say no to Jesus at this time, right? Or to God. Um, this is not the same Peter we dealt with in the Gospels. This is not young Peter. This is not young Peter who constantly put his foot in his mouth. This is Peter now who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Peter who has now seen what he has seen over the last few chapters of people coming to Jesus. 
But Peter's response was, no, not so, Lord. Now, he has said no to the Lord in the past. Uh, Matthew 16, when Jesus told him about his pending death and resurrection, Peter said, no, no, we're not going to do it this way. I don't want to do it this way. When Jesus washed Peter's feet, Peter said, no, let me do it. In fact, wash my whole self. Um, And so we don't know exactly what Peter's thinking. Perhaps he thought that he was being tested by God. Maybe he thought this vision was a test by God and to say, hey, would you eat this and also eat this? And so as a response to this test, he says no. Now, it seems that Cornelius is a little bit better, uh, has a little bit better responses to God than Peter did in these moments. Uh, Peter had pretty much put God in this box of limitations right now, and God was going to shake up everything for him. Now, understand, Peter was saved, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he had been used greatly by God, but Peter was still Peter, right? Now, as we move into our notes, Peter wasn't used by God because he was perfect, he was used by God because he was available and headed in the right direction. He wasn't used because he was perfect. In fact, we often fall into the trap of thinking that if we are Uh, If we live our life perfectly, God will really begin to use us. By the way, if you wait to be perfect, that's going to be a long wait. Right? That's going to be a long wait. And sometimes we can use that as uh, as a crutch or an excuse not to put yourself out there in uncomfortable situations because you tell yourself, well, God, I'm still working on, I still, I'm still working on me first. Now, in the Old Testament thinking, there was something that was called holy and that which was common, right? The holy was made common when it came into contact with something common, and it could be only made holy again through ritual cleansing. So when Peter saw this sheet being lowered, and he saw all these kinds of foods, both kosher and non, together, it wasn't that some of the food was okay to eat and some of it was not. In his mind, because the holy foods had been with the common food, now they're all unclean. And even the holy food had to go through ritual cleansing before he ate it. So it wasn't that Peter was saying no to part of it and yes to part of it. He was saying no to all of it. Now, it's interesting to me that this exchange happened how many times? And how many times did Peter deny him? That sound familiar? Peter denying Christ three times? At the end of the Gospels, you see that happening where Peter denies Jesus three times. And yet still, when Jesus went to plead with his father the night he was betrayed, he took with him a friend he knew would deny him three times that same evening. Jesus is the ultimate friend of sinners. Knowing our weaknesses, he still invites us in. Now, at this point, after three times, you would hope a couple of things settled for Peter, right? Number one, this illustration is not about food. Now, food was an important part of the diet. It was important to emphasize this. But God repeated the vision three times. And by the time the drama had been acted out the third time, Peter must have been getting the sense that God was trying to tell him something, uh, a larger lesson as it relates to people and relationships. So now we see God making Peter aware of the uh, arrival of the messengers from Cornelius. Let's look together at verse 17. Verse 17 says this. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Verse 18, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, dude, people are knocking on the door, right? Behold, three men are looking for you. Verse 20, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. In other words, this vision I showed you and these men who are coming to visit, they're about the same thing. The vision was about food and it was about ritual cleansing and it was about what was holy and what was common. Now you have visitors and Peter no doubt was ignoring the visitors because he was still focused on the vision and what the Holy Spirit said is, these are about the same thing. I want to teach you something right now. The vision ended and Peter did not have it all figured out. But he knew there was something here. So the Spirit prompted Peter to look and notice that there was these men standing. Now, it's really comforting to me that while Peter was reluctant, resistant, and thinks, thinks he knows better, God still used him. Because how many times in our life are we reluctant, resistant, and think we know better? Right? Right? Boy, the story and the life of Peter, he's reluctant. Uh, there are often times where, um, where as followers of Jesus Christ, it's just really easy to be reluctant. It's easy to be reluctant in our faith, where uh, we're not eager, we're not uh, quite so uh, uh, eager to follow in, in something that the Holy Spirit leads us to. He's resistant here. Um, over the course of time, as you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, the more often times you are reluctant to follow Jesus, the more often you will be resistant. And so now it's just not you're not eager. Now it's just you're not willing. And you're just resistant. And so there might be a door knocking and you just don't pay any mind to it because you're just resistant. And it has become so easy for us to not listen to the Spirit's call in our life that it becomes harder to hear him when he does call. And the more often we are reluctant, the more often we resist, what ends up happening for us is we build these uh, calluses in our hearing from the Holy Spirit. And then it just becomes a little bit easier not to hear. He also thinks he knows better. Um, you ever just sit Jesus down for a talk because you had to fill him in on details that perhaps he's not privy to. We talked about that last week, right? And we have to walk him through our plan or our planner, as it were, and we have to walk him through what's happening in our life so that Jesus has a full picture of what's about to happen. Yeah, Peter's kind of in this place. He's reluctant, he's resistant, he thinks he knows a little bit better, and yet God still uses this, incredibly encouraging to me. Verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Peter must have been shocked at this point, right? There's a specific man 
um, who had a vision, and he is not a Jewish person. So now we're saying this outsider, this Gentile, this Roman uh, uh, armed forces, armed force uh, centurion, now has a vision from God. Is that even possible? Is that even possible for an outsider to have this vision? The idea that God would send and use Gentiles uh, to Peter was, was completely contrary to how God had used people in the past. And so in this moment, God is expanding Peter's mind, his heart, and the messengers from Cornelius have this invitation. They want you to come to his house. I need you to come with me to Cornelius and he wants to hear what you have to say. This was an invitation Peter couldn't pass up. A Gentile, worse yet, an officer in the Roman army wanted to hear the gospel from Peter's lips himself. And so verse 23, it says this, so he invited them in to be his guests. All right, here's the point of the Sunday today. In fact, let's read this together. Ready, begin. The evidence of the change in Peter's heart was found in his actions. So we've already seen God has set the table for Peter. Um, in the last chapter, we saw that he uh, spent the, uh, well, he said, I think the chapter nine says he spent many days with Simon the Tanner. We talked about how unusual that would have been for a Jewish person. By the way, the number of comments I got about this little nugget of a detail that Simon stayed with the tanner. Uh, some of you told me about stories about people trying to tan hides in garages and basements, and none of it worked out so well for any of you. So if this just triggers a little thing where I wonder what it would be like to make my own leather and have my, just don't, please don't. Um, <laughs> There's several people in our church that would like to sit down with you and talk you out of it. Peter spends many days with Simon the Tanner, this guy who legally had to live 75 feet away from uh, the rest of people because uh, his occupation was so dirty and unclean and literally stinky that they didn't want him near anyone else. Sure, we'll use your goods, but, but you yourself can't be in our home. We'll purchase your... Uh, tools and we'll purchase your bags and the leather stuff that you have uh, made and that'll be in our homes but you yourself can't be near us you see the hypocrisy there you see the hypocrisy in that in that portion of the Jewish culture right there but Peter spends many days with Simon the Tanner and no doubt already God is working in his heart you are staying in someone's house who is unclean and it's okay you're staying in someone's house who was once an outsider and guess what, Peter? It's okay. And now he has this vision and it's blowing his mind and there's, there, is, uh, there are chickens and pigs together uh, on this sheet and there's, there's bacon and shrimp and then there's uh, goat and sheep and all of these things. And as ludicrous as that might sign to us because we can just, we don't have the dietary restrictions from our faith like Peter did, this was a monumental deal. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just that the bacon wasn't okay or the shrimp wasn't okay, but it's the fact that they touched the sheep and they touched the lamb, and now none of it's okay. And they all had to be ritual clean, and Peter's mind is, and then, and then, and then now God's asked me to do it again. I passed the test the first time, and now he says, rise, kill, and eat again. And I said no again, and no doubt Peter's like, oh my goodness, the last time I said no three times. 
I literally denied Jesus. Surely he's not going to ask me a third time. And then all of a sudden he says a third time, but yet that Jewish faith is so ingrained in him, he can't walk away from that Jewish faith. It was unclean. It was not appropriate. It was one thing to stay in this house, but to eat those foods and go against hundreds of years of tradition. And he says no again. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And Peter's like, ah, forget them. I got to focus on this dream. I got to focus on this vision. And the spirit of the Lord says, the knock on the door is about the vision. He gets down there and these men are like, you'll never believe this. Now, when I have difficult news to share with someone, um, I often will try to do it in one sentence. Right? Because if you try to just hem, hem and haw about it, it becomes a really hard discussion. And, and so when I was uh, at the call center, for instance, or other business places, if I had to fire someone, I was going to fire them in one sentence. I was going to tell them about their bad news in one sentence. And it's almost as if they're so nervous about what they have to tell this Jewish man about this Roman soldier. Look again at verse 22. This is what they say in one sentence. Cornelius, a centurion, upright God and fearing man, who was well spoken of by the Jewish army, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. <laughs> like they said it in one sentence to get it all out. And then verse 23, he invited them in to be his guests. <laughs> so he's staying with Simon the Tanner. And now at least three or four guys are at, the de are at the door and Peter says, come on in and stay. Stay in this home. The evidence of the change in Peter's heart was found in his actions. We can look at the way <clears throat> he invited them in and, and offered hospitality as a true change in his heart. Peter would reach out in his love to his Gentile neighbors in the course of the next few chapters in obedience to what God had told him. In the 1800s, there was a young gal from a small village of Millisle County Down of Ireland. And this gal would travel to India to become a missionary. Now, she had done work in Belfast and Manchester, briefly in Japan and Sri Lanka, but whether it was the customs or the food or the weather, she was ill everywhere she went. And then she went to India and all of a sudden her health got better and she took it as a sign from God that this is where she would be. She would serve the girls that would be sold into temple prostitution at the Hindu temples. She opened up her home to abuse the defenseless, the hurt, the wounded, the outsider. One day she was sharing with Jesus and about his great love for those who were in bondage. And one of the ladies who had been abused, one of those ladies who had been serving as a temple prostitute, one who had never shown, been shown the kindness of being a human, asked this question. She says, if this message be true, then you are as an angel from heaven. Isn't that a beautiful statement? She said, if this be true, you are as an angel from heaven. But she also said this, if it be true, we want to see it lived. 
Will you show us how to live it? Amy Carmichael would spend the rest of her life living out her faith. She would serve in India for 55 years without ever taking a furlough. She wrote 35 books about the missionary work, providing the evidence of what God had done in her heart for the rest of her life. I'd encourage you, if you've never read the story of Amy Carmichael, her biography is written by Elizabeth Elliot, and it's called A Chance to Die. And the title is taken from a time where someone asked her in India, why in the world did you leave all these other places to come to India and she said, well, it's a chance to die. And what she meant was it was a chance to die to my desires, to my will, in order to serve a purpose that is greater than mine. The evidence of the change in Peter's heart was found in his actions. The evidence of the change in Amy's heart was found in her 55 years of living in India where she would become adopted as an Indian and she would serve out the rest of her life just loving people who were on the outside. See, the Acts, Acts is all about this question in our life. Are we willing to live out the change that has happened in our hearts? Are we willing to bend down and walk slowly with people, sit in their moments of grief and darkness and listen to their heart and just be with people as they need the love of Jesus? Are you willing to live out the change that has happened in your heart? So centuries ago, another Jewish person like Peter had come to Joppa with a solemn message of repentance. He was commissioned by God to bear uh, this message to outsiders. Jonah was his name, and you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. <laughs> Jonah had no desire to go there, had no desire to go reach outsiders, thought they were beneath him, and they were beneath God Almighty. Thought they were not worth his time or anyone else's time. Literally started traveling in the opposite direction. You know the story. He ran from God's call thinking he could get away from the Lord. And he did not share God's heart for the lost. Peter, on the other hand, was willing to re-examine his traditions and prejudices in light of the gospel and was able to share God's heart for a lost world. Next week, we'll look at this message that Peter has for Cornelius. But it makes me think we will live our life like Jonah or Peter when it comes to our faith. We will live our life like Jonah, where depending on who we're supposed to go to and depending on the circumstances and uh, the, the perks that are involved and the notoriety involved and what it might do for me, sure, Lord, I'll serve. I'll serve. Wait, you want me to go where? Yeah, no, no. In fact, which way is that? This, great. And this is how we'll react. And God will say, I, I really need someone to, to love the outsider. Um, <clears throat> I, need, I, I need you to love the outsider. I need you to come alongside of someone 
who's never been shown love uh, one day in their life, whose only expression of relationship has been abuse, whose only expression of authority has been neglect, whose only expression of family has been hurt. I need you to come alongside of them. And because it's dirty or uncomfortable or perhaps you genuinely think that that's beneath you, you'll walk in the other direction. And here's, here's the interesting thing. Uh, the end of Jonah's story, people come to Jesus. People get saved. In fact, the whole town repents after like a one-sentence message from Jonah. Some are like, you should, you should really study that one-sentence sermon, Daniel. Best we can tell, he walks into town, he gives a message of repentance, and he walks out just as bitter as when he walked in, and yet God still used that, and the whole town ends up repenting. And Jonah, the end of Jonah, is this sad, sad picture of him bitter that God would love the outsider. Because I think for Jonah, in some way, it demeaned God's love for him. And the only way we affirm God's love in us is to love the outsider, because that's what God did for us. So we have the option of living with our faith like Jonah does, or like Peter, where Peter is just constantly struck in the face with, is this is this the gospel or is this something that you have created that's important to you? And when we get to the last half of Acts 10, I'd encourage you to read through Acts 10. You'll get to see Peter's message to Cornelius, which is a beautiful, beautiful story how that the gospel shatters these social uh, and ethnic barriers so that everyone could hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Today is all about yielding and listening to God and seeing how that brings you into contact with other people who are yielding and listening to God. It's about understanding that Peter wasn't used because he was perfect. In fact, he was reluctant, he was resistant, and he thought he knew better, yet God still used him because he made himself available. And it's about this idea that the evidence of the change in Peter's heart was not what he posted to social media, not what... Uh, he, he might think of himself, not in which the way he carried himself, but in the which he lived his life. May we be more like Peter than Jonah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.